the idea of patents, of patents, that, that you can come up with an invention and you can make it your own and you can make it money from it for a short time. And as a result of that, it has really driven, it's been the engine that's driven innovation and invention. And probably even more than his discoveries in electricity, his, his, uh, what he did for patents and his promotion of patents uh, have, uh, have really shaped electricity and, and modern electronics. He, I think we can rightly say, is the founding father of electricity and electronics. Well, today I want to talk about the founding father of our faith. And perhaps like, perhaps like Ben Franklin, we don't always recognize this. We don't realize that, that this individual today, Abraham, is the founding father of our faith as Christians. And really all, all faith, all genuine faith, biblical faith, can point to Abraham and his example in his life. And I would submit to you that actually understanding that about Abraham is a key to understanding the whole Bible. And if we don't get what was going on in Abraham's life and, and what God was doing with Abraham, we probably won't get many of the other things that follow. Like next week and the following, we're going to talk about the Mosaic Covenant, the, the Old Testament Covenant. And I don't think we'll even rightly get the fulfillment of these covenants in Christ Himself. I don't think we'll get Christ correctly if we don't understand Abraham. And perhaps... He's been obscure for us in some ways. And what I hope today, as we dig in Scripture and go through this, is to help us understand Him better. And as a result of that, understand God better. Understand ourselves before God better. Understand the wonder of the covenant that Christ has established. This covenant through His blood of forgiveness and eternal life. New life in Him. And to have our lives even changed by encountering Abraham. So, so let's dig in. Uh, I want to start actually by looking at some New Testament Scriptures because the New Testament, it, you can just read that and you'll quickly come to an understanding that Abraham's an important guy. There's a number of places that he's listed and I'm not going to read all of them, just some samples. First, Romans 4, and we have this to project. Romans 4, 1-5. Paul has been talking about uh, righteousness. He's been talking about our predicament and our sin and talking about the idea that God justifies us. He he declares us righteous. He deals with our sin and transgression through faith. And so he goes where? He goes to Abraham. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul's establishing the doctrine of justification, the truth of, of being justified through faith alone as a gift by looking at Abraham. He's looking past Moses looking past Israel to the foundation, this founding father, Abraham, to establish a truth that has always been a truth for God's people and is fulfilled ultimately in Christ. We see Abraham mentioned in Hebrews also as this man of faith in Hebrews 11 and elsewhere, but in Hebrews 11:8 that says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, 
as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, his wife, herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, it was 90, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Later on in James, James is looking to correct a, a misunderstanding of faith, that, that faith is, the misunderstanding would be that it's merely theoretical. He's trying to help them understand, no, faith impacts more than just what you believe, it impact what you understand, it impacts what you do. So he says in James 2, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We're going to look in, in Abraham and, and see some of how this is explained. James doesn't mean to say that we're not justified by faith. He's saying that we're justified by a faith that produces works. And faith without works is not genuine faith. But he looks to Abraham and the life of Abraham to demonstrate that. So all these New Testament authors see the importance of Abraham. The importance of the story of Abraham. And at the heart of the story of Abraham is the story of God's covenant with Abraham. This holy agreement that he makes. And Scripture is full of covenants. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And a covenant is, is simply a, a holy, solemn arrangement that, that has blessings and has obligations that often come with it. Not always. And, and we're called into this relationship with God. And there are these solemn promises. And there are blessings that result from staying in the covenant and curses that come from breaking the covenant. And this is how God deals with us. He deals with us in the very beginning. Deals with Adam and Eve this way. He blesses them. He creates. He takes chaos and He form, makes order. And He makes these different realms and He fills them. And He puts man over them. Man and male and female over these realms. And He blesses them and says, here's this place I want you to live. This paradise. This Garden of Eden. That's a paradise. I'm going to walk with you. You're going to be mine. And I just ask you one thing. Just don't eat of that tree. Simple. You can do everything else. Just don't eat of this tree. It's a covenant. It's agreement. Though it may not be a formal official covenant in how we see in Abraham's life, but it, it is. They fail with that. And actually the storyline up to Abraham is about God bringing order out of chaos and calling His people into relationship with Him. And so Adam and Eve, the first, do that. They fail. And then we have Noah. You heard about Noah recently. Things got so bad after Adam and Eve's failure that, that mankind became really as evil as possible. Hard to think about that. Thank God that's not the case now in, in culture. Just think if, we, if mankind really was able to run with everything, all the worst motivations, all the worst thoughts, all the worst actions. That's what it was like. The, the, the failure was terrible and God in His holiness had to deal with it and He judged mankind. And there was judgment and death Yet God brought order out of chaos by rescuing Noah. And then made a covenant with Noah for him to fill and populate the earth. And we see in the life of Noah in the end of the story there that there's failure on his part that, that in many ways mirrors Adam and Eve's failure. And then things continue in that and there's failure in mankind 
and leading up to chapter 12 where, it's, where it introduces Abraham, it talks about the nations. So now the, the different peoples of the earth are, are distinguished, but they come together and they say, they say we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to bring our own order to the chaos. And it's going to be about us, not God. We're going to make a great tower. We don't need God. We, we're just going to be together. And God again brings judgment, scatters them, gives them all different languages. They can't understand each other. And then they scatter as different nations throughout the earth. And in that chaos, God calls Abraham out. He calls Abraham out of the chaos of the nations, the rebellion of the nations. He calls him out and he rescues him and he commissions him to be the instrument to bring order and blessing to those very nations that had rebelled against him. Isn't that wonderful? That's the character of God. He's a redeeming God. What do we give him? We give him rebellion. We give him the Tower of Babel. We say we want to make a name for ourselves. We don't want you. And God's solution is to say, well, I'm not going to let that stand as is. I'm going to call Abraham, and Abraham's going to be a means of blessing to these nations that rebel against me. So he calls them out, and then he says in chapter 12, we have this to project, he promises Abraham great blessing. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a one-sided promise. He calls Abraham out of all of the chaos and all the rebellion. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. Abraham goes from there through different adventures. We're going to hit some of those in a little bit. And then God notches up this promise into a full covenant in Genesis chapter 15. And if you have your Bibles in your hand, turn there. You can also view it overhead, but it's best to look in the Bible in front of you. Let me read this interaction, this covenant, and then we're going to talk about it. Genesis 15. And by the way, this is just background to, where, to some other points I will get to if you're following along in the notes. Genesis 15 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, 
dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Genesis 15. So this is a covenant that God makes with Abraham. He makes this formal agreement. And, and he, later on in the story, in chapter 17, he confirms this covenant with the sign of circumcision. But it's the same covenant. And then chapter 22, you may know that story, where he tells him to offer up Isaac, who, he, who Abraham understands is the means to, to fulfill this covenant of bringing many descendants he, God calls him to offer up Isaac, to trust him again, to believe him, to offer him up to kill him. And God intervenes when Abraham's uh, faithful, and he tests and he confirms the covenant in Abraham's life. So there's, there's faith in Abraham, there's righteousness that's credited to him, but then it's confirmed in circumcision, it's tested and proven in, in his obedience. So faith always creates genuine obedience, as James was saying. But this covenant that he makes with Abraham is really the basis for all the other covenants that are going to come. Genesis 15 was written to whom originally? What was the audience that would have first heard Genesis 15? Not King of Grace in 2016, right? It's certainly intended for us, but there was an original audience that listened to this as it was taught by a man named Moses. So the original audience had just come out of Egypt. And they're learning their family history is what's going on. They have just come into a, a covenant with God under Moses. And God's saying, wait a second, I want you to understand there's a covenant that preceded and led to the covenant you're in now. This covenant of Abraham. This covenant of Abraham is the foundation for the following covenant. And they would have understood that what was going on in this scene was was a covenant being made where typically in the ceremony of the covenant you would, you would cut animals in half, you would share your agreements together and the implications, and then you would walk between the dead animals. And what you were saying is, if I break this covenant, may I end up like these animals here? That was, that's what was going on. There was a covenant, this holy agreement between God and Abraham. But there's some things about this covenant that are really important to get. If we get those right, we're going to understand the Mosaic Covenant properly. We're going to understand the Davidic Covenant, what God promises to David. We're going to understand the covenant in Christ properly. If we don't get this, we're going to misunderstand those things and misapply these things. This is partly why the New Testament authors are looking back to the covenant with Abraham to explain everything else. Paul wants to understand, the, uh, explain the place of the law, the Mosaic Covenant. So he points back to the Abrahamic Covenant understand that so this is important for us to get and, and so I want to dig into some implications of this covenant 
as we continue. First, this is a covenant with a sinful man. This is a covenant, a solemn agreement that God makes with a sinful man. This man has real and serious faults. Now, Adam and Eve were innocent in their initial state. God makes an agreement with them. Noah is a, a sinful man, but the, his covenant isn't that extensive. His covenant basically, he, Noah believes God and is a righteous man because of faith, but Noah is now to repopulate the earth. It's not an extensive covenant. The covenant to no longer destroy the earth, and certainly an important one. But this is an extensive covenant. It has a lot of implications. This is God's plan to basically redeem the nation through Abraham. And He makes this extensive plan with a sinful man. You can read the story. You don't have to go very far in the story to find some very serious faults. Shortly after the initial promise where God calls them out and He calls them out of Ur and calls them to follow Him and promises to bless him and make him a blessing, this incredible promise, you would think that Abraham's life is transformed at that point. He's just a different man and he's holy and obedient and full of faith all the time. But what does he do in Genesis chapter 12, verses 11-13? through 13, Shortly after this, he goes down to Egypt. And it says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. That's a good thing to say as a husband. But then he says, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So Abraham, after coming out of hearing this amazing promise from God, this gracious promise, proceeds to throw his wife under the bus in Egypt to save his own skin. And in the story... Pharaoh takes Sarah as his wife, and it's only by the Lord's gracious direct intervention, and I would say honoring the faith of Sarah, which Peter points out later on in 1 Peter, she's protected and delivered. This is the father of our faith, guys, throwing his wife under the bus in a serious way. Later on, God in chapter 15 makes this incredible covenant and promise of descendants more numerous than the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore, and literally, if we take that literally, literalistically, that would be millions of billions of descendants. I think God means for us to understand there are to be innumerable descendants of Abraham of faith. But what does he do? Does he believe that God's going to do this miraculous thing and, and, and even though he's old? Well he, well, he does, but something happens along the way and, and it looks like Sarah loses faith and Abraham goes along with his wife's doubts. And since Sarah is old past childbearing years, Abraham takes Hagar, the, their, their slave, as his wife. And they have Ishmael. They create their own answer to God's promise. They, they do their own thing apart from faith. He, Abraham really usurps God, takes matters into his own hands, creates a situation that's going to be a problem for the descendants for some time. And then later on, continues with his behavior. Later on, still being a recipient of great blessing, he, he goes down, uh, he's in uh, uh, Philistia and, and among the Philistines, and with this other king, does the same thing. Sarah, you're my, my sister, stunt again. And God again has to intervene to rescue him. 
And then Abimelech, who is a, who's a, a Philistine king, scolds Abraham. This is supposed to be the man of faith who's be the blessing to all nations, right? He's supposed to be blessing the Philistines and so forth. And, and, and you have a, a non-believing guy scolding Abraham for his behavior with his wife. That's important to get. This is a covenant, a holy covenant. It's an eternal covenant, by the way. Made with a sinful man. A man who fails in huge ways. And it isn't just Abraham that's a failure. Actually, all his descendants, all these innumerable descendants that are coming, all but one, who we'll talk about in a little bit, all are failures as well. All do things that are are terrible. All do things that are sins against grace even. In In the face of great blessing and God's goodness to us. That just magnifies our sinful choices all the more. We are like Abraham. And that's so important to get. It's so important. There are implications just in that, that God makes this covenant with Abraham a sinner that should change our lives. The people God chooses for His team are not flawless. They are not people who have it made. They are people who are failures in many ways. They are losers and liars, crooks and cads, rejects and rogues, fools and failures, and so much more. This is how God works. He redeems sinners like you and me. I think of the, it's kind of like the, the bad news bears, basically. God makes this team of the bad news bears. Uh, that's an old reference, by the way, back in this, the uh, ancient history in the 1970s. So sorry if you're too young to know that. But this, it's a movie. They made a remake of it, right? And this is a, the bad news bears are basically the, the team with all the rejects from all the other teams. All the worst players in the league are put on the bears. And they're just this ragtag loser group of baseball players. There's a, there's a nearsighted pitcher, an, an overweight catcher, a foul-mouthed shortstop, uh, two no, uh, no, non-English speaking uh, players, a, a, a withdrawn guy. This motley collection, this guy rides a motorcycle and smokes cigarettes at the age of 12 or whatever it is. There's, it's this bad, new bear, bad news bears team. It's, it's rejects. And somehow in the storyline, they, they were able to win the championship uh, or almost win the championship. They, they choose to, to, at the last minute, let the other team win. But that's how God works. God recruits the bad news bears. You and I are like that. He chooses unlikely people. He makes everlasting epic covenants with sinful men and women. That's you and me. And this truth should have an impact in our lives. It should change how we think about God and how we think about ourselves. It should make us comfortable, in a sense, with our weakness and failings. It should make us be able to be honest with ourselves, able to face our failures, that we're not perfect. We fail, we sin, we fall short, we're limited. We should be able to, I think, even laugh at ourselves because sometimes it's humorous. This truth should change how we are um, in, in how we receive criticism. Because the reality is we're failures and God knows it and God rescues failures. And so what am I doing? What am I doing trying to hide the reality that I'm on the bad news bears and yet God rescues 
such people. So let me ask you, are you someone who can laugh at yourself? Are you someone who's very sensitive to criticism? Maybe you aren't understanding this truth that that God makes epic, eternal covenants of grace with sinners, with imperfect people, with failures. And I think when we get this, we can learn to be humble and honest and even humorous with our shortcomings and with each other in them. It should change us in this way. That's important. It's an important point to see that this covenant is with a sinful man. But that's not all. The reason that we can be comfortable with that is because it's not just that. It's a covenant that is by grace through faith. It's a covenant that doesn't depend on us for its fulfillment. Abraham's The covenant with Abraham, which we are in actually as his descendants through faith, if you are a believer... You are a descendant of Abraham and the faith of Abraham. So you are in the same covenant, actually. And it doesn't depend on Abraham for its fulfillment. That's the good news. God promises to bless Abraham and make him a blessing. And there's there's nothing there that God says to Abraham, you know, here's here's the plan, now ten steps for you to be a blessing. He says, I'm going to do it. Look at the stars, Abraham. See how many there are? You can't even count them. That's what your descendants are going to be like. And what does Abraham do? Does he start his 10-step program to a greater fruitfulness in life? No. He simply believes God. He simply says, Lord, I believe you. His eyes are not on himself at that point, right? Because if they were on himself, he, he would have thought, it's impossible. I can't do this. I'm old and we're old. His eyes are on God and His goodness and glory. He puts His eyes on Him and believes Him. God is the one He trusts in. And God credits to Him righteousness as a result. And this is how God works. This is how God acts. He's a a God who who always is a gracious God and, and always looks for us to trust in Him. Abraham has righteousness credited to him. That righteousness is basically being uh, upright and in right relationship, being good. Uh, to be righteous is to be all those things, and to be rightly related to God and to be righteous in how we live. And so God credits righteousness to Abraham. Not because Abraham's righteous, right? We just talked about all his faults. Because God credits it to him. He, he essentially gives Abraham a, a gift card of righteousness. He says, Abraham, through your faith, here's this card. This is a gift card for you. Like, imagine if you had a Starbucks card. Maybe you do have a Starbucks card. And you can, it's a gift card. You get 20 bucks, and you can go buy like two drinks at Starbucks with that. Um, And and you can take that credit on that card and buy things with it, right? Imagine if you had a card that had limitless Starbucks drinks. (laughs) yeah I think it would be in trouble caffeine and calories together Uh, that's essentially what God does he says Abraham here's a limitless card of righteousness and you can draw on this thing again and again and again and again and it never stops simply through faith that's the wonder of this, this covenant 
That's the wonder of the covenant of grace, as we call it. The covenant with Abraham, covenant of grace that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. He fulfills this covenant of grace. We get righteousness credited to us simply through faith as a gift. It's amazing. Guys, it started with Abraham. This has been how God deals with His people. This is who He is. He, he's planned this out for His own glory, for our own joy, because there's really no other way for it to work. We are sinners. and Even if we weren't, we, Adam and Eve, we still are dependent beings. But we are not just dependent, we are sinful dependent beings. We must rely on His grace. This is God's plan. This is an amazing agreement that, that God has made. And it's interesting, in the covenant, God also says something profound in how He does this covenant. He lays out the animals. They're, Abraham actually lays them out, right? Splits them in half. And the idea is to walk down the middle of them. By the way, that's where we get weddings, walking down the middle of the aisle. Right? We're making a covenant with each other if we're a man and wife. But, but the normal thing is to walk down together and to say, may we become like these animals if we don't hold up our end of the agreement. Where is Abraham in that process when they make the covenant in chapter 15? He's asleep. He's in a deep sleep. He's out. He's not there. And who walks between the animals? That's right. Smoking fire pot and, and a flame. And, and to the original hearers, right, they've just followed God out of Egypt and there's been a tower of cloud and a tower of fire. They know that that's God. That's God Himself walking between the animals. And so God's saying, if this covenant fails because of me or Abraham, may this happen to me as a result. He takes on himself the curse, the curses of disobedience for Abraham's disobedience and for all those who follow through faith. You probably are realizing where this leads. This is why God always planned to send a son. Because he knew Abraham would fail. And he knew all his people who have trusted him through the years will have failed. He knows that you have failed. And he knew that in order to be in this covenant through faith, that failure had to be dealt with. And so God Himself, God the Son, the only one who never failed, the only one who had no sin to pay for himself, the, the righteous one, the fulfillment, the faithful one, chose to take on himself the curses demanded of sinful men and women like you and me. He walked voluntarily between those animals, knowing where it led. And nowhere, knowing where it led for his son to bear holy, just wrath on the cross for our sins, to die, to pay for those sins, to fulfill the obligations of the covenant that He made with Abraham. That we might enjoy the blessings of it. The blessings of being blessed by God. The blessings of being a blessing to the nations even. Through Christ. This is the covenant of grace, as it's called. Because it's a gift. And we receive it just like Abraham did. 
We say, Lord, I believe you. I believe that you actually did this for me. I believe that Jesus actually went to the cross and bore my sins on the cross. Paid for my sins so that I could be forgiven before God. That I could be reconciled and I could know you as Father. I could be a son or a daughter. It's simply believing. That's the sa- it's the same covenant. And if you are someone who's not yet believed, the story that I'm telling and the story in the Bible is calling you to be like Abraham. To, to simply say, yes, Lord. I believe you. I believe that you provide for forgiveness. I believe that you love me and through Christ I can have forgiveness. You simply just need to believe and just tell Him that. Say you're sorry for your transgressions and trust Him what He's provided for, for you. That you might live in this wonderful covenant of grace. Find your life transformed. Be made a friend of God and being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. This wonderful covenant of grace is the, the backbone of the Bible. And everything in the Bible is meant to flow from this covenant of grace. Abraham's life, this is the case. The circumcision he receives in chapter 17 is a seal. It's a, it's a, a sign, a seal of the covenant that's been replaced by baptism, water baptism. The obedience and offering of Isaac, which is also a picture of Christ who would be offered up. Isaac's son didn't have to die. God's son had to die. But that obedience of Abraham is flowing out of this covenant that he's already in. It's faith working itself out in obedience, which it always does. The covenant with Moses, which you're going to hear about next week and the week following, is meant to live in the covenant of Abraham, not as a separate covenant. And it's when that covenant is not applied within the covenant of Abraham that it it becomes death. Law by itself is death. But law, when we live in grace, is, is an invitation to, to glory and goodness and, and being like Jesus. And it was intended that way. And sadly, in the storyline, the people of God wandered away from the covenant of Abraham, wandered into sin, or wandered into living in law apart from grace. Everything's to flow out of this. And so all the commands that we have come in the context of grace. That's always been God's intention. So this covenant is just so important to understand. And and so, just by way of application, let me ask, do you understand this? Do you understand how important the covenant of grace is for everything else? Do you understand that all obedience is to flow out of free and amazing grace through faith alone? Your obedience is important. But it doesn't come first. It comes as a result of belonging to Him and living in grace. To live as a true son or daughter of Abraham is to live by faith in grace and to stop trying to prove yourself. Stop trying to do the right things to somehow receive approval from God or others, but to live in the free gift through faith. This transforms us. Understanding this changes our lives. It frees us up. It empowers us to live in deeper love, deeper holiness, greatest good news. That's how it's designed. Does that characterize your life? This is God's Word. This is here in the Scriptures. And God Himself wants you to know these truths. This isn't, I trust just me, explaining this. But God Himself revealing truth from the Bible 
for you, that you might learn to live in Him and the life He has for you and the life He wants to flow through you to others as as a result. One more point before we close. This is a covenant that's for all peoples, all nations. This incredible blessing of the covenant of Abraham, this covenant that was fulfilled in Christ is meant not just for the physical descendants of Abraham, but for all nations. It's meant to bless all the nations. It's meant to go everywhere. This blessing of grace, this amazing story, is meant to go out and bless and redeem the very nations that would build a tower to make a name for themselves. It's meant to go out. Now the nation of Israel was called to this covenant of Abraham, this covenant of grace. And then God placed them at a crossroads for that time. They were placed right between the most powerful, significant empires in the earth. They were right at the crossroads, at these important trade routes. And there was no way for them to to have commerce and interact with each other as great nations without going through Israel, without going through Jerusalem. This was part of God's plan to bless the nations. Israel was supposed to be a country that lived in the wonder of grace with holy obedience defined by the law of Moses that put God's blessing and truth on display so that as all people went through and interacted with them, they would say, wow, this is amazing. And they would receive the blessing of God. They were put in the perfect location. Location is is everything in many ways, right? As we say. Um, I know churches like to locate on main streets. You know, we're, we're not on a main street. We're very blessed here. But on main streets, because if you're on the main street, then people see you, right? They go by. And they see, oh, that church, and I wonder what that's about. And then they go in, and, ho- and hopefully you're going out as well, and they hear about who you are. Now God's not put us on the main street, and that's probably good because that forces us to realize it's not just where our building is, it's where we are. And we need to be out with everybody loving it. But location matters, and, and for the nation of Israel, they were put in the, the perfect location. Maybe the best modern analogy would be like if the nation of Israel in the Old Testament times, like we're around now in that way, if they owned and ran Facebook. And so Facebook has, what, 1.7 billion users? Um, People throughout the world use Facebook a lot, and I know some of the younger crowd are like, oh, you're so old school, we're way past Facebook. Well, the reality is it's 1.7 billion people in the world, and I met a lot of young people in Nepal who use Facebook primarily. So so I'm just saying. Um, uh, But imagine if the nation of Israel, you know, in Old Testament times, they... They owned it and ran it. And so if you're going to use Facebook, you're going to encounter these things. And, and in who they were supposed to be, you're going to hear about the blessing of grace. You're going to hear about God's holy ways. You're going to hear about miracles and, all, and how God speaks. You're going to hear all these things. So anytime you go through Facebook, you're encountering the people of God. That was the plan. That's why they were put, part of why they were put right there. They were meant to bring blessing. That's been there from the beginning. It's not like God discovered the mission in the New Testament. Oh, that's right. Let's do this mission thing. I forgot about it. From the very beginning. The Tower of Babel happens. God starts planning. I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to reach the nations. And He uses Israel, but they ultimately fail in that, in God's sovereign plan. To ultimately point us to the One who would come and make the difference in our lives that we might bless the nations. Christ Himself. Who comes and dies rises again, alive forevermore, then sends the Holy Spirit on His people at Pentecost. 
where all the nations are gathered. Actually, the same lists of nations, more or less, that are listed in the Tower of Babel are listed there. Why is that in Scripture? Because God's saying, this is how I'm doing it. This is how I'm answering Babel. This is how I'm fulfilling what I promised to Abraham right now as I pour out my presence, God the Holy Spirit, on my people and empower them and equip them with the good news and with the power to go to all nations. To fulfill the Great Commission. Confident in what Christ has done. that All authority has been given Him. And He's with us always. Now we are commissioned to go to all the nations. Guys, this incredible good news of this covenant of grace cannot be something we keep to ourselves. We must go with it. If it has impacted your life, you understand this, right? You've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell somebody. And where to go, whether it's to the nations or, or to our neighbors and everything in between. We are people who are going people because of the covenant of grace. Because of this incredible good news we have in Christ of forgiveness and love and transformation by the power of God and His grace alone. The band could come up as we close. So I just want us to, in that, be freshly motivated to go. And your going could be anywhere. And it starts, again, just with going across the street or going across the hall or wherever it might be to share this incredible good news. So in conclusion, as we consider Abraham and this amazing covenant, I want just to encourage you to live in the blessing of this covenant of grace. To be amazed by it. To be comfortable with your weakness and your failures. To be able to laugh at yourself. To be able to receive criticism without being defensive because you know, you know, I'm imperfect. I'm like Abraham. And I'm so bad that Christ Himself had to die for me to rescue me so I can take criticism and we can work through this. To be comfortable with that because not only do you know your weakness, but you know God's solution. God Himself walked between those animals. God fulfilled this covenant. Christ, God the Son, died for your sins so you are safe and forgiven and you live in that grace now through faith. And then finally, go and tell somebody. Tell somebody this week. Maybe just before we close in song, just pray for one person you can think of and ask God, would you give me an opportunity to tell them? Or just say, God, somebody. Give me somebody this week. Just in a natural way, a normal way as a friend, I can just tell them about the covenant of grace. Let's just take a minute to ponder these truths and pray before the Lord, then we'll conclude, conclude in song. Lord, we thank You for Your amazing love. We thank You for who You are, Lord. Without You, what would we do? Without Your mercy and grace, where would we be? Thank You so much for making that promise to Abraham and those who would follow him in faith. And thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling it. That we are now forgiven and beloved. And Lord, you've loved us from before time. It's amazing. Thank you. And now we ask you to fill us, O God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we would live in this love and in this grace. And Lord, we would... Share it with others. We ask You, Lord, make us a people who are a blessing to the nations, are a blessing to our city, are a blessing to our neighbors, and our extended family members. Fill us up from Your grace to be this and to live it 
not just because our building's prominent, but we are prominent in blessing by your grace to those around us. Send us across the street and across the oceans, Lord, with this amazing message of your grace and glory. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 God is